Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, do you ever wonder why the tooth fairy collects teeth? Ever thought about that? Well, my kids don't wonder because I tell them this is why the tooth fairy wants your teeth because he sells pianos of tiny little baby teeth to other fairy creatures and the only way to get you know, the ivory that he needs for those pianos are from your teeth. And so for them, it makes absolute sense, of course. And so the tooth fairy also writes notes to our kids when they come, and, but it's written in backwards. And so uh, you have to hold up the note to the mirror to read it, which is just, uh, I think, a fun thing the tooth fairy does, and our kids love that. But when our kids first started losing their teeth, uh, Joshua, you know, I think we left him like a quarter under his pillow, and it was like, that was fine. But now, fast forward a few years, and now we're up to a couple bucks. Like, right? Inflation is real. And so... Like, what do we do? Like, you look around and you think about, you know, the price of eggs, and it's like the bougiest thing you can do is make an omelet. Like, right? It's like, that's showing off on your Instagram feed. Like, it used to be like, you know, your new car or whatever. Now it's like, look at this omelet I made with three eggs. It's like, wow. But, but we really are in this kind of economic um, time of transition and downturn, however you want to call it. And I think there is some uncertainty about, about money and, and all this stuff. And so today, we're going to be looking at that and just asking, how do we handle our money in a God-honoring way? How do we live in a way that embraces generosity? How do we live in faith, not fear, even when the world around us, there's some uncertainty, right? Like, let's just acknowledge that, that there's some uncertainty in economic times right now. If you're a guest or you're joining us online, um, I don't preach about money very often, but here's the thing. When you go through a book of the Bible and it's in there, that's what I preach on. So that's why we like books of the Bible. And so that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've been in this series on the book of Genesis since October, right after our seventh birthday as a church. And we started Genesis chapter one. Pastor Ryan kicked us off that we are created on purpose for a purpose, that our God loves us so much and he created us for purpose. But then sin comes in and wrecks our relationship, Genesis 3, and, and kind of gets in the way. And so we are in need of a savior. Genesis 4, we see that that sin wrecks relationships between brothers, you know, Cain and Abel. But kind of depending on how you translate the text, you know, Cain says, you know, my, my guilt, my sin is too great for me to bear. Perhaps Cain is even confessing his sin and turning from that. And if, if Cain can confess uh, than any of us can. And, and there's grace and forgiveness for anyone, uh, you know, from, for, for whatever you've been through, whatever you have done. And then, you know, we, we walk through the, the story of, of Noah and, and how uh, Ethan talked about that. You can just have it, just grace. Just that, this, that Noah is just kind of this, this one kind of random guy that God just chooses to save and pour his grace out on. And so, you know, you can just have it. You don't have to earn it. You can just receive that grace. And then we kind of took a break then when we, we hit Tower of Babel. God comes in and he scatters the languages. And so, so what happens then? It's like, wow, we're scattered, we're divided, and we're in need of someone to come in and save us and unite us. 
And we see Jesus is the one that does that. And then when the early church was born in Acts chapter 2, that's the reversal of Babel. Instead of scattered, now we're united. And, and now we're speaking one tongue uh, you know, uh, through Christ. And, and what an amazing blessing that is. Pause for Christmas. And then we've been in the story of Abram and Sarai the last couple of weeks. And we said, you know, Abram was just this pagan living in a pagan land and a pagan family around the region of Babylon. He didn't know God. His family didn't know God. And God shows up and says, hey, go to the promised land. And, and, and Abraham goes and he, he meets God at the tree and he sees God and God says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So we've talked about that, that. We are blessed to be a blessing. But sometimes we show up in the promised land. The promised land is a famine land. And there's a famine. And what does Abram do? He stops seeing by faith. And he starts doubting. He goes down to Egypt. And he messes up. He loses his wife to Pharaoh. And he makes all these mistakes. And God, in his infinite grace and mercy, gives him back his wife in a miraculous way. And wow, what a blessing. What a story. And Abram comes back and he learns some things. And last week we talked about that then... Abram and his worthless nephew Lot have to separate. And sometimes you have to leave a lot behind. And Abram now is walking by faith. He said, you know, not everyone you lose is a loss, but who we spend our time with is going to determine the direction of our lives. And so God separated Abram from Lot, and that was a good thing. So now in chapter 14, again, if you want to read it on your own time, this is kind of this crazy story of what's going on. So here's what's going on. We've got these, basically these four big kings out of the region of Babylon, and they are coming in and invading these five smaller little kingdoms. Think of these kings more like mayors. So you got like four big kings invading the Jordan River Valley where Lot settled, and they're imposing their will now on this region. And what I love about God's word is, man, it's so timely, right? This is really very similar to like Russia invading Ukraine and trying to impose their will on this. Like these same things have been going on for thousands of years and God's word still applies. And so there's this alliance of four kings from Babylon and they're imposing their will on where Lot lives. And these are four serious power players, and the five kings are these kind of obscure little mayors in this town. And the gang of four, we find out, they maintain their rule and authority over this region for about a dozen years. And then these five kings, these kind of five mayors and these small little kind of uh, small kingdom city-states uh, decide, hey, we're going to rebel. And actually now we're going we're gonna to attack are kind of our overlords, but it's no contest. Like they, they you know, they say, hey, we're going to declare independence, but it doesn't work. And then they get just beat very easily. A couple of the kings fall in these like tar pits. It's very embarrassing for them. And, and, and they're on the run. So what that means then is that these four kings can come down now into the valley. And instead of just exacting like tribute, they carry off the women and the children and they, they raid and they pillage and, and take, you know, everyone into basically slavery. And Lot has been living outside of Sodom, and Sodom is one of these kings who has rebelled. And, and, and so Abram hears that his worthless nephew Lot has been taken into captivity. And so now Abram is going to get dragged into this conflict because of Lot. And this happens a lot of times, right? Is that even if we separate and we have some boundaries with people, we talk about how that's good, so often they can still drag us back into kind of uh, their bad decisions. And Lot's bad decision, 
first of all, to move into the Jordan Valley. But then, remember the text said he moved his tent right outside the gates of the city. And so because of that, because he's right outside of this city, and this city rebels against the other kings, he's taken into captivity. And so now Abram has a choice. The son of my brother who has passed away, that now Abram is kind of like the surrogate father figure. They're kind of like brothers to each other too. He's been carried off. What am I going to do? Am I just going to let him be carried off? Or am I going to go after him? And uh, what, what I want you to do, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, is, is to write this down. Is there's two kinds of faith. If you don't have a note sheet, raise your hand and someone will get you one too. But um, again, we think it's great to have note sheets because we want you to hear it. We want you to see it, write it down, and then discuss it in your community group. And that really does help you get these truths down deep into your soul because uh, we want to give you a life of transformation, not just some information. But I want, what I want you to write down is that there's two kinds of faith. There's active faith and there's passive faith. And so Abram is in this situation now. His nephew has been carried away. And is he going to take some action or is he going to wait on God? Now, both are good and both are needed. And I think often we fall into one of the two categories that one comes more naturally for us than the others. We've been in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that's really exercising a passive faith. It's saying, God, we're waiting on you to act. We're bringing these needs to you, but we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're not going to be hasty. We're going to go where you go, but we're, we're waiting on you. We're trusting you. We're giving this to you. There are times we need to take a step of faith. Uh, again, passive faith might be just, you know, you're praying for someone who needs to know Christ, your neighbor, your daughter, your adult son who's walked away from Christ, and, and you're, you're giving that to God, but you're waiting on God to act. And sometimes that's what we need. But there are other times we need an active faith that says, hey, just walk across the room, share your faith, share the reason for your hope. Sometimes you have to say, no. You know what? Uh, it is time. I'm starting that new ministry. I'm starting that new business. I'm going to ask that person to do the green book with me. You know what? I'm going to reach out to that person I think is struggling. I'm going to ask them to go for a walk. You know, maybe not right now because it's cold outside, but maybe in the dome or something, you know. Like you're, you're, you're actively taking that step. Now, again, I tend to fall more into the active faith category. We've talked about this. Like I identify a lot more with Peter. He's a little bit more ready fire, aim, you know, in the Bible, like walk on water. Yeah, let's go, Jesus. You know, he's doing it, right? Pulling on his sword, you know, chopping off ears, like stepping up to preach in front of 3,000 people. That's Peter, right? But Peter needed John in his life too. John's more the contemplative. John's gonna lean against Jesus's, you know, shoulder and just kind of wait on Jesus. I'm just the Lord's beloved. That's who I am. We need both. And so uh, in our lives, if you lean towards one or the other, you need people in your life around you who can stretch you and encourage you in the other way. So ask a good friend, ask your spouse, hey, which one do I lean more towards, active or passive? And if you don't feel like asking someone, you're passive, okay? <laughs> that's just right now. Um, so that, that's just a good thing. So let's, let's go into our text. All right. When Abram heard that his worthless nephew Lot, that's my commentary, had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. All right. We talked last week how we need some people in our lives. And Abram was separated from Lot, but he had some people in his corner. He had a band of brothers. He had 318 trained assassins in his army uh, that was basically his people that had been born to him. 
These people had the utmost respect for Abram. They're willing to go to war with him. And you got to remember, Abram's about 75 years old about this time. And he's like, let's saddle up, boys, get on our camels, and we're going to go rescue my worthless nephew, Lot. And these guys are like, we're in. So I picture, you know, Abram, like old, you know, maybe Charlton Heston or something like that, like just kind of grizzled, and, and he's looking at you, and you're like intimidated, like, oh, man. Like, that's Abram. He's got that stare down. But these 318 trained men for war, they're going to go to battle with basically the four kings of Babylon and beat them. And so... Again, we need some people in our lives who are willing to go to war with you to say, hey, I got your back. I'm in this with you. I think it tells us a lot about Abram, who he is as a leader, who he is as a man, that they have his respect, and they're like, yes, we're going to go to war with you. Then he pursued Kedo Lemor. I told you, some weird names. So he's like the king basically around Babylon. It's kind of the area that he, he's the king of. And so they're pursuing this king. So he's pillaged all these people, run away, uh, probably in this time, a couple thousand soldiers. He probably had you know, somewhere between five to 10,000 soldiers uh, is what he had. And Abram's going after them with his 318 men until he caught up with them at Dan. All right, so he's got 300 men against a couple thousand. What's going to happen here? Then he divided his men. He's strategic here. He's not just going to pray about it. He's going to do some strategy. He's going to take a step of faith. He divided his men and he attacked during the night. So he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split up. We're going to attack during the night when they're sleeping. They're drunk. They've been pillaging. They've been doing other bad things, you know. And, and so, he, so here's what we're going to do. And he attacked during the night. Keto Lemor, army, fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hoba, north of Damascus. All right, if you struggle with, with uh, geomet- or geometry, yeah, geography, you're not alone. So you think he's in the promised land near um, Jerusalem, Israel, kind of, and he goes north and crosses over into Syria, where Damascus is, and he's chasing them all the way there with his 300 men, uh, these couple thousand uh, soldiers of Babylon, and he's kind of chasing them out of the region. And Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken from the Jordan Valley region, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. So what we've got here is, again, Abram is going, he's rescuing people, he's redeeming them, he's bringing them back. And, and then, again, after Abram returned from his victory over Kedolimor and all his allies, the king of Sodom, again, remember last chapter, very wicked place. So this king who had gone to war, fell into a pit, uh, kind of disgraced. Now he's coming out, and he's kind of a wheeler, dealer. And he went out to meet Abram in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. All right, so we've got this king of Sodom, and this random guy named Melchizedek comes out as well. And he's bringing some bread and wine. All right. Followers of Jesus, when we see that bread and wine, what are we instantly thinking about? We're thinking about communion, right? The Last Supper. Like, do this in remembrance of me. Even way back then, this is pointing to Jesus and on the cross. Because it's all about the cross, right? And the resurrection. So even here, we've got this Melchizedek. Who is this guy? He's the king of Salem. All right, what's Salem? Salem is Jerusalem. This is, it's, it's basically like shortening it. It's like hanging out in Maple Grove, and you're like, I'm, out, I'm hanging out in the grove tonight, right? Like, that's what, like you're just kind of shortening it. 
So he's basically the king of Jerusalem. That's when you think Salem, it's Jerusalem. And he's, he's a king and a priest, and he's a prophet. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. And he, and he brings out some bread and wine to Abram. And Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. All right, so who is Melchizedek? All right, I said this in my email. If you know who Melchizedek is, you're wrong, okay? Because no one knows for sure who he is. And this is more for like the Bible nerds in the audience. Uh, how many of you would consider yourself kind of a Bible nerd? Ryan's hand for sure goes up, right? Yeah, yeah. A few of us, right? And some of you guys are like, Melchizedek, what? Who is this guy? They, exactly. We don't know. So this prophet, priest, king shows up out of nowhere, brings bread and wine to Abram, and then he's blessing Abram. And so it's like, who is this king? So we really have two main options here. Number one, he's a type of Christ. He's a historical king who really existed, but he points to someone who's to come. So we look at it and we say, okay, in the same way that Jonah went into the belly of the whale for three days and then he comes out, it's like a type of Christ that Christ goes in to the tomb for three, year, three days and then comes out. Esther, who stands in the gap for her people. It's a type of Christ, like Christ standing in the gap for us. You know, Abraham willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac willing to lay down his life is like a type of Christ, willing to lay down his life. So we can look at these examples in the Old Testament, and there are stories or people where they're kind of like an archetype, and they, they point to the one true uh, Jesus who was to come. And so it's possible he's a real king of Jerusalem, prophet, priest, king. Uh, he, he worshiped the one true God, and he's just pointing to Jesus. Yeah, uh, yes. Or it's possible he's also a theophany or what's called a Christophany. Now, how many of you have heard that term before? A, a handful of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what that is, it's a pre-incarnate um, uh, showing of Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jesus didn't come into existence at the Christmas story. Jesus has always existed eternally as the second member of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit have always existed in this dance, in, in, this, uh, in this beauty of, of community. And let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Spirit always existed. Now, Jesus, when he came, he, he added humanity to his divinity. It didn't take away any of his divinity. And, and he added that to him so that he could identify with us and to be our priest and die on the cross for our sins. But Jesus has always existed. This is what I talk to my kids a lot about because there's, I think, some confusion. They think, like, Jesus didn't exist until he was born uh, as a baby. But Jesus has always existed. And there are times in the Old Testament we can point to and say, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the fiery furnace for not bowing the knee to, you know, the statue of the king uh, of Babylon. And this fourth person shows up shining like the son of man, one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself. And who is that? We think that's the pre-incarnate Jesus. Before he added flesh to himself, he shows up in different times. We're going to see in a little bit, in a couple chapters, that two angels and someone else show up to talk to Abram and Sarai and tell them they're going to have a baby. And, and they receive worship. 
When angels are very, very quick to say, hey, don't worship me. I, I'm just an angel. I'm just a messenger. But there are moments in the Old Testament where someone will show up in the story who will receive worship. And so what theologians call that is it's a Christophany or a theophany. Theo meaning God, Christ meaning Jesus, the anointed one, that it's him showing up in the story. So some people believe Melchizedek is actually the pre-incarnate Christ showing up uh, to kind of point the way to the one true God as prophet, priest, and king. So really, whichever way you want to go on this, it's totally fine. Um, but again, someone who says, like, I know exactly who Melchizedek is, it's like, no, you don't, because no one's really sure. It's one of these two things, and you can dive into Hebrews, talks about Melchizedek a little bit more, and uh, it's a fun kind of rabbit trail you can go down. Uh, but again, it points the way to Jesus, and, and we're all about Jesus, amen? All right, so what is... Abram's response to Melchizedek, this guy who brings him bread and wine. So how is Abram going to respond? Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. What? (laughs) We've been journeying through Genesis, right? Anything like this yet? No, right? We had Cain and Abel. Abel gives a, a very generous offering to the Lord. The Lord loves that and receives it. Cain gives one that we think is not so generous. God rejects that offering. And, and his heart has to do with it. But nothing about tithing, nothing about a tenth up until now. This is the first time in the story we see that. Also, uh, earlier it says Abram the Hebrew um, shows up to go rescue uh, Lot. And that's actually the first time in the Bible we're going to see that word Hebrew, uh, which is important. That, that, that's why they, be, they become known as the Jewish people, as the Hebrews. And so this is really Abram stepping into his destiny. And so... What I think we see here is an example of Abram growing in generosity, and this is a biblical principle that we're going to see again throughout Scripture. And so what I want to talk about is how do we grow in generosity? Because we want to be people who are generous in everything, in our money, in our time, in our talents, uh, with our forgiveness, with our grace, in everything. And so, number one, how do we grow in generosity? Trust God with the tithe Trust God with the tithe. It says, Abram gave a tenth of, of everything that he had to Melchizedek. And a tithe literally means a tenth. So people ask, like, hey, can I tithe like 1%, 2%? Well, no, you can give 1% or 2% or 12%, but tithe technically means 10%. You know, it's like, like fasting. We talk about this, right? Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual reason. Like, you can abstain from social media, but that's not fasting. So same thing with a tithe literally means a tenth. And so where else do we see that? Leviticus 27.30, it says, Every tithe of the land, every 10%, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so God says, hey, it's all mine. Everything you have, the ability to work, um, just, just everything you have is mine. And I'm asking you, hey, go ahead and keep 90%, but the first 10% belongs to me. That's what he's saying there. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the full tithe, that, that word tenth, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Malachi says, Bring the whole tithe, bring that 10% into the storehouse. And then I believe that's a picture of the local church. There may be food in my house. Our hope is that every Sunday you come in here or you're watching online or you're going to watch later, that you're receiving 
spiritual food and nourishment uh, for your souls and for your bodies. That's, that's the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. That your children back there are receiving spiritual nourishment from our volunteers, from Amber, from Maria, from the other ones who are investing in kids. That, and I believe that that tithe, God is calling us, that brings to your local church. That first 10% belongs to God. You bring that to the local storehouse, and then we're asked to be generous over and above that. So then after that 10%, give to local missionaries, give to Compassion International, give to World Vision or Feed My Starving Children. For us, uh, pretty much since, since I've started working at age 14 at a grocery store, first 10% I've tithed back to God. And you know it's been just amazing that in my life, uh, God has always taken care of me. He's always met all my material needs, you know, uh, as, as a college student, uh, going on missions trips, uh, a, as a pastor in different ways. You know, um, we've been very blessed here um, because we've said, hey, the first 10% as a church, we're going to give that away to other church plants, to missions, things like that. And, and, and God has really used many of you uh, to pour out generosity onto our church. And we've been so, so blessed as a church. Now, again, there's so many reasons for this. But in our seven and a half years as a church, um, we've had times where it's like, okay, we need to tighten up a little bit because we're looking at, you know, uh, giving trends and we're just, you know, we want to make sure we're wise. But we've always had at least one month worth of expenses in the bank. Um, really since month two as a church, I have lots of church planner friends. Uh, got together with them last week. We meet at Pizza Ranch once a month. And, you know, two of my friends, uh, similar church in size, uh, one, uh, the church just can't pay the pastor at all, so he had to go get a, a full-time job. The other one, uh, they can barely pay him, uh, and often, many months, he goes without receiving a paycheck. We've never had to do that as a church. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's just because we're faithful in our tithing, but we've had this attitude, attitude of, God, we want to be generous back to you. And we've been so blessed as a church that we've never had to go through those seasons of saying, like, man, we can't pay our bills or we can't pay uh, our pastor or our staff. And that's just been such a blessing. And, and this is the only time in Scripture uh, God says to put me to the test. It's the only time he says, hey, test me in this. And why do you think God says put me to the test? Because I think the idea of giving 10% back to him is a really a freaky concept. And it's like, are you serious, God? And he's like, no, no, test me in this. And so what we say a lot is, we want to worship God with my first and my best. It's that first 10%. And then trust him to bless the rest. I'm going to worship God with my first and my best. And I'm going to trust him to bless the rest. Again, just because, you know, other churches have struggled financially, things like that, I'm not saying they're not trusting God in their finances. Hear me in that. But I can attest in my life, now, uh, since 1994, tithing the first 10%, that God has always taken care of me. He's met all my needs, and, and it's been such a blessing. And, and tithing really is this thing that says, God, I believe that you can do more with 90% that's blessed by you than 100% that's on my own. And I know this is a radical thought to many people, especially in our culture. Um, uh, but God says, put me to the test in this and, and see if he doesn't bless you and take care of you and meet all your needs. Number two, plan your generosity. Plan your generosity. If you ever really, really wanted something and 
I think for most of us, if we do, then we're going to do some research. We're, we're going to do some planning. Like, like for me, I remember the first time I wanted to buy like a nice TV. It was, you know, before Joshua was born. I was teaching guitar lessons on the side to earn some extra income. Uh, and so then I was saving to buy my first plasma TV. Uh, and, and, you know, I did so much research. I, I went and looked at all these different, you know, uh, stores and, you know, examined, you know, uh, ref- refresh rates and, you know, 1080p versus, you know, 780 and all these different things. Found this TV that I loved and, you know, and I planned it well and then I spent it. And then uh, just recently, you know, that TV had died and gone to heaven and so need a new TV for my basement. And so you better believe if I'm going to spend some money to get a new TV, I'm going to look into this and it's like, okay, what's the difference between QLED and OLED and all these things and, you know, panels versus millions of individual pixels. And it's like, I'm going to do my research and figure this out and plan well so that, you know, that I'm going to invest in this. And I believe that we should do the same thing with our giving, with our generosity and, and ask, like, how can we plan to give more? How can we be intentional to be generous? How can we rearrange our lives so that we can be a blessing to even more people? That's what Isaiah 32, verse 8 says. It says, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. They don't just kind of uh, wait for, you know, the spirit to move. For us, first 10%, we just automate it to our, our church. We give here to Mosaic. And then we've said, okay, we want to be generous as well. So we have four compassion kids because we have four kids, and so we, we support them. And then Kristen's old college roommate, uh, Cora, she's a, a missionary in Thailand. So we, we plan to give to them. You know, we're going to plan our generosity. It doesn't just happen, you know, spontaneously. Generous people, it's not accidental or incidental. It's intentional. We have to plan to be generous. It's not just going to happen, you know, kind of spur of the moment. Do you have a plan how you're going to generously support your church, you know, show generosity to others, to support a compassion child or, or a missionary? Do you have a plan how you're going to use your schedule to have margin in it so that you can to be a blessing to others with your time? You can tithe your time. Do you have a plan on how you're going to use your gifts and talents in a way at your local church or to invest in others or to say, hey, I'm really good with numbers and, and, and business stuff, so I'm going to choose to mentor someone in that. Or, hey, I've got some experience in parenting. I'm going to tithe my time and my talents by mentoring a young parent in my parenting. There's ways for all of us we can be intentional in this. The truth is we automate what's important. For most of us, we probably automate a big chunk of our bills, our mortgages. If you want to be generous, you have to automate this. You, you have to, if you want time, you have to block it off to say, okay, I'm committing every Thursday night to be in my community group. This is, 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 is you know, uh, it's planned out. I'm not going to do other things during this time. It's not like I just show up to this with nothing else is going on, right? We have to automate what's important. You set that calendar weekly, you know, to go to the next week and then the next week and the next week. Because uh, we automate what is important. Uh, third thing, start being generous today. Start being generous right now. We're not going to wait until we get out of blessing, out of debt to be a blessing to others. We want to be a blessing right away. And so in what ways can you plan to be generous with your time, your talents, your money right now? In whatever stage of life you're in. Again, we all are in different stages of life. We're in an economic tough time. And if you're like, man, all I can do to be generous is, is, is this much, praise God. Pray about that. Ask God. You know, you may have more money that's available to you than time or talents. And so in this season, God's going to ask you to step up your giving and be more generous. 
Maybe you have more time available in your schedule than money or talents, and so God's going to ask you to step up, you know, your generosity of your, of your time. Maybe God's gifted you in a lot of talents, and so God's going to encourage you, hey, step up your mentorship or do something with those talents that I've given you because you have a lot of gifts to share with others. The goal is generosity. The goal isn't just saying, hey, we need our church fully funded. Uh, we have some very generous people in our church, and because of them, like, we're very funded. And, 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 and praise God, we've never had to go without as a church. And so this isn't just about like a sales pitch for the church. It's saying, no, my heart for you is I want you to be generous. And, and, and here's what uh, Philemon 1.6 says. And I'm praying that you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. See, you aren't blessed by the words you hear. You're blessed by the word you put into action. Amen? And so to hear a sermon on generosity, like, it really does nothing for you until you plan and put it into action. How are you going to be more generous in 2023 with your time, your talents, your money, than you were in 2022? And this is the only reasonable response we have for a God who's been so generous to us, who gave us his only son, who gives us grace, who gives us adoption into a family, who gives us community, who gives us the church. We're going to trust God with the first and best. We believe God is going to bless the rest. We're going to plan to be generous. We're going to start it right now. Now, I believe that when you give, you will be a blessing to others. There will be people that will be blessed because of your giving. But also, when you give, you will be blessed that you will receive that from God. You know, when I was a poor, uh, just graduated from college student, 23 years old, uh, I was working at a church called Eagle Brook up in White Bear Lake. And uh, I was on staff. Uh, they were paying me $12,000 a year to be a worship pastor. I ran out of college. That, that was my big money making right there. And, uh, you know, that wasn't much. And I remember we, at that time, that church... Uh, one campus, uh, you know, about you know, five, 6,000 people. And, and they were wanting to expand, but we were so maxed out at that building that we were in. We were doing seven weekend services, uh, and it was crazy. Uh, Pastor Bob was literally losing his voice. His doctor said, you, you can't keep doing this. And so they started using video, and thus the video Eaglebrook campuses were born. And, but I remember they were raising money to build the Lionel Lakes campus. And they were saying, okay, we're going to build this campus, and they decided we're going to sell White Bear Lake. Now oh, let's keep White Bear Lake. We'll go two campuses, but this is the one then that we'll start eventually broadcasting from. And as a poor college student, I remember feeling that nudge. Hey, you're tithing to your local church, $100 a month out of $1,000, but can you give over and above that? I think at that time, I pledged an additional $50 a month over and above that. Uh, like about an extra 5% of what, what I was earning. And, and that was a lot that really stretched me. But you know what's cool? Is when I look at Eagle Brook Online now, 25,000 people in person, another 20,000 uh, uh, you know, uh, across the globe who watch every single week from Lionel Lakes campus. I know, hey, in a tiny, tiny way, I gave towards that. And that building exists because I gave to that building campaign. Now, again, small little drop in the bucket, right? But I can look back on that 20 years ago and be like, man, that investment, what an amazing investment. When I was uh, uh, church planting out in Colorado, 
We met in a school. We had land. Chris and I felt called to, to give another uh, 5% over and above what we were currently giving to the church at 10%. And then God called us to Wisconsin right when we were getting ready to break. We, we actually broke ground in our building. And I was like, yeah, we're getting out of the school. And God's like, no, you're going to Wisconsin. I'm like, what? And I'm still portable. And they've been in their building for like 10 plus years. Praise God. But you know what? We gave for three years to that building project. And when we stopped back in Colorado to visit like her parents, and I stopped by to see that building, I was like, man, I gave to that. Now, it's not just about buildings, it's not about programs, but it's investing in the kingdom of God. Because you may regret money you misspend on a TV that's not as great as you thought it was, or an experience, or whatever it might be. But you're not going to regret investing in God's kingdom. Now, my heart is for you to be generous. Am I saying, if you don't tithe, you're less spiritual than me and Kristen? No, not at all. All right, here's the thing. This is not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing, amen? Right, right? But my heart for you is I want you to experience generosity because I think when you are generous, it breaks, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it breaks uh, uh, stinginess and, and, and pride and greed and all these things in our lives because we're saying these things don't hold me. I'm giving it to you, God. I, I'm living open-handed. And I believe that extraordinary generosity is extraordinarily powerful, Again, being generous, look what God can do through you. When you look at the early church, in Acts chapter 4, it says that no one had any need. And through that, of them caring for others, the Pharisees who wanted to kill Jesus and hand him over to the Romans started worshiping in the early church. Not because of the day of Pentecost, not because of, of Peter's preaching, but because they saw the generosity of the early church. And generosity is evidence of the Holy Spirit. That when we come to Christ, one of the things he births in us is that a generosity is saying, I'm not clutching with tight, tight fists things that belong to me, but my time, my talents, uh, my money, it belongs to him. And people see that and they praise God. And it's extraordinarily powerful. I just want to encourage you, be generous and see what God will do through you. If you have hang-ups about giving to the local church and you've been abused and taken advantage for, my heart breaks for you. Then, you know what? Pray about it. And, and, and if you're like, I, I just can't give to a local church. Okay, what can you give to? Do your research. Be generous to Compassion International, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, World Vision. Uh, there's a lot of really great organizations. Now, I think... God invites us to give our first 10% back to the local church. But if where you're at and you've, you've been hurt, like, I, I get that. So, like, if you think about it as, like, a ladder, like, and if you're on the ground floor and, and God's just invite you to take that next step up to that rung, maybe it's just, hey, you're going to adopt a compassion child and saying, okay, this is a great ministry. There are kids over there that, that need my support uh, and they need education and housing and, and a school uniform, I, I'm going to start, first step on that rung of that ladder and just you know, adopt the compassion child. Maybe it's saying, hey, I love my local church. I want to support it. You know, I look at my budget. I, you know, let's set aside 1%, 2%. What can you do? What can you start? Maybe it's that second rung. I don't know. There's always a next level we can go to in our generosity. And yes, I apologize for churches, pastors who have 
abused power, abused money, who've taken advantage of people. Like, man, that breaks my heart. Uh, you know, just like full transparency. Like, like my salary is set as what a teacher would make in District 279 uh, with my age and experience uh, and education. That, that's my salary. I, I make the same as a teacher here in, uh, yeah, a little under, but yeah, District, District 279. Ryan makes what someone makes at Chick-fil-A. Uh, that's just praise God. Um, that's, uh, we, we, we stole him away from Chick-fil-A and said, we can, we can pay you that. Uh, you know, uh, as a church, we give the first 10% away, and, and we, we, we want to give to others. So it's not like Pastor Ryan and I are getting rich off this, okay? Like, like we're taking care of it, and God is so good to us, but that's not why we want you to give, right? We want you to be generous. Now, I hate talking about money, so I had to do this because this is in the text, but again, I hope you hear my heart. My heart for you is to be generous, and I, I truly believe that, that reflects the heart of God. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and, and we're, we're going to close here today. Again, I want you to hear, this is just a thing. It's not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. But we need finances and support to, to do the Jesus thing, right? We're praying about a, a permanent building, and someday uh, we're going to ask you to give towards that, right? And, and, and we're going to ask you, hey, how can you be generous, uh, you know, because of your support, we're able to, like, throw a party for the teenagers tonight. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're able to do different things in ministry, and Pastor Ryan are able to do this and pray for you by name and lead community groups and, and lead Bible studies because of your giving. And lives are being changed and transformed because of your giving. And so, hear me. Thank you. Thank you. So many of you are so, so generous. And, and our church wouldn't exist without you. We had some parent churches that, that got us started by letting us, you know, preach and they invested some seed money so we could buy a trailer and some equipment. But that money's gone six years ago. Like, our church is supported by the people in this room and those who are watching online. Not some denomination, not some, you know, anything else. And so thank you. Look around. Like, this church exists because of the people in this room. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and, and as pastors and leaders, we want to steward those resources well. And we want to be a blessing to our community. And I believe that if you give your time, your talents, your treasure, uh, you will be a blessing and you will be blessed. Uh, we're going to go out of here singing. And uh, if you want to give online, you can do that anytime. MyMosaicChurch.com. We also have, uh, I believe, the lockbox back there. You can give into, into that. Many of you do give online. I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, if you're new or if you're new watching online, just go to mymosaicchurch.com. You can fill out the online connection card there. Or we have the in-person ones. Our prayer team gathers every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. And we pray over those requests. And we try uh, to make it in, in about that hour to pray for as many of you as possible by name. Um, that's just our heart. And so if there's anything that you need prayer for, put it in there. Uh, if you want any more information about, hey, how can I become a partner? Um, I, I, I want to say, hey, I'm in this together. Uh, you know, how can I get information about baptism, uh, about serving, or I want to do the green book. What's this thing about face-to-face -face discipleship for 15 weeks? Um, we'd love to get you connected with, with someone who's gone through the green book, and they want to lead you through that, because uh, we we're here to help you take your next steps spiritually. Uh, why don't you stand, and then I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to lead us in one closing song. God, thank you. Thank you that you are here in this place. And God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you, God, for how you have provided for this church in the last seven and a half years. God, we, we've had stresses and worries, but financially, God, you've always taken care of us. And that is not a common story for churches. 
And so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for the generosity of people in this room. Uh, thank you for the generosity of people who have been a part of this church, uh, who are part of the launch team, who gave generously so that now we can sit in this room and, and, and be blessed. Uh, God, I just ask that um, if there's anyone who, who's here or watching online or watching later, and God, they've been hurt by a church taking advantage of them. God, I, I'm so sorry for that. And, and I pray that you would just work healing in their lives. God, that they would just find um, trust and hope again. God, I pray that as a church, we would steward your finances well, that we would always make Jesus the main thing. Um, and so God, again, we just thank you that you are our good lamb who died on the cross for us. You are our lion who goes before us, who fights for us. And God, I just pray right now, God, we just be filled with hope and encouragement that you always meet our needs, that you provide for us and, and you've given us this beautiful church and these people. And just thank you for all your blessings. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's go out of here singing. But may you know God loves you so, so, so much, uh, not based on anything that you do or give or act, but just simply because of who you are. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.